In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of the month of Beba, and uh, we read the story of the paralyzed man whose friends, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ was inside of a house, um, decided to take him to the house so that he could be healed. And even though the house was very crowded, they decided to go up on the top of the roof and to lower uh, the friend down into the house so that he could be healed. Um, and we see in this example uh, a story of how the Lord Jesus Christ gives us more than we expect. He always gives more than we expect and more than we ask. In the liturgy of St. Gregory, it says, O you who do more than we ask or understand. So I want to speak a little bit about how the Lord has demonstrated this principle all throughout the scripture, that he does more than we ask. Sometimes we think that God is not even giving us what we ask, um, and we maybe grumble and, and are impatient because we ask God for things and we feel like it doesn't happen or doesn't happen on the timeline that we want. But actually, if we look at the way that the Lord operates with, with us, he gives us even more than what we ask and he gives it to us um, at the right time. A verse that came to my mind actually while I was, um, I was thinking about this topic was in, in Job chapter 5, um, where Job is speaking about God and he says, For he bruises but he binds up, he wounds, but his hands make whole. In the sense that God allows suffering, God allows some kind of a suffering in, in each of our lives in one way or the other, but it is not to the end. God, God makes us whole, God heals, God does something to recompense us for the suffering that we experience. And we see in every one of the cases here that, that the, of course, that the Lord is going to act. So these are the unexpected and great works um, of God. The first one is the story of today, which is the, the paralytic man. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And maybe this was anticlimactic for him, because what he was looking for was the healing of the body, not so much the healing of the spirit. But what actually is harder to lose and harder to heal? You know, maybe different physicians can heal the body in various ways, but no one can heal the spirit. No one can heal the soul except God himself. No one could forgive sins except God himself. And so here God is demonstrating that he is giving this man something, number one, he did not ask for, and two, something that is actually greater than what he asked for. He asked only for the healing of the body, but the man also received um, the healing of his spirit. Um, so we also should realize that even when we ask the Lord for something, that he can, is capable of giving us even more than this. Another example is the story of Adam and Eve. We know the story of their fall and how they sinned and disobeyed God. And, and God had told them that uh, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will die. And surely when they ate of it, they did die. But their death was not to the end. God gave them a way out of this death. He offered them a path to life through the resurrection. And we see that the entire rest of the scriptures from that point all the way to the end is all focusing on one thing which is the resurrection which is the coming back again which is the restoration again of the people after this moment after this moment of fall and death and he declared this even in the garden of eden after adam and eve fell he says and i will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to the serpent and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When he says that 
the, the seed of the woman is who? The seed of the woman is the Messiah, the one who is to come, who will, who will crush the head, bruise the head of the serpent, meaning he will overcome the serpent. It is through the serpent that death came into the world, and by crushing the serpent, he will restore um, mankind again to life. So even here, you see that um, even though Adam and Eve deserved the consequence that they received for the sin that they had committed, and the fall and all of the suffering that came with it but yet God was not content to be that this is the last chapter that this is the last thing that was going to happen but he, he opened a way for restoration for for being restored again for coming back again for being renewed to life again and this again is unexpected the great and unexpected works of God we also see this principle played out in the life of King Solomon God had granted King Solomon that uh, any request that he wanted. He said, whatever it is you want, ask me and I will give it to you. And so uh, King Solomon's response was a very humble one. Actually, in his response, he calls himself uh, a little child. And he says, how can I, a little child, govern all these people now that he was uh, the king after his father, King David? How can I govern all these people? Give me wisdom so that I can govern the people of God. And, of course, we know that God did give it to him. He says, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. And maybe we'd have thought that this would be the end, that this would be the end of the story. He, he asked for wisdom. God granted him wisdom. That was something already very, very wonderful for God to grant such wisdom to, 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 to a man so that he could govern his people. But then he says, he continues and he says, and I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all your days. He gave him even what was not asked for. He gave him something that was for his glory, but it wasn't even necessary. He didn't have to have this. He could have sufficed with just the wisdom to govern the people, but God chose to glorify him even more than this and to give him glory in the eyes of man, uh, all of these uh, riches and honor um, that he received. Again, God is giving us greater than what we ask for. God is not stingy in giving us his blessings. He wants to give us blessings. Maybe some of the reasons that we think that God is holding back on us is not because God doesn't want us to have good things. It's because the things that we ask for are not good. You know, sometimes we, we ask for things believing that these are for our, in our best interest and that these are the things that are good for us. And we ask God repeatedly, give me this, give me this, give me this. And when it doesn't happen, Maybe sometimes we conclude, well, God just doesn't want to bless me. God doesn't want to give me good things. Or we look at other people and say, look, God has blessed those people, but he hasn't blessed me. Do we stop for a moment and think, maybe the thing that I ask for is not good? Maybe the thing that I ask for is actually detrimental and harmful to me, and I, and I, and I don't really understand why, and I don't really know what would happen if I truly received it. But God knows. God knows. God does not want to withhold good things from his children. Another example of the great and unexpected works of God is the widow of Zarephath. It was uh, during this time where there was a drought in the land and no one could find any food to eat. And so there was this poor widow uh, who had a son and they were both very poor and so they didn't have any food to eat. And um, Elijah the prophet came to her and during this time of drought he also um, was, was struggling to find food. So he asked her, please um, make me some food. And so... Um, 
she she responded to him and said we don't have any food all i have is a little bit of flour and oil i was going to go make some some small amount of food we were going to eat it for ourselves and then we were going to die essentially accepting her fate that there is no way for her to be um, saved from this drought and this hunger and all we have is this little amount and she's accepted and resigned to the idea that they're going to die there's no way for them to live in the midst of this drought um, and so then Elijah responded and said something very interesting. He says, no, you make me for the food first, and then you eat for yourselves. First, give me the first fruit of it. Give me the small little amount that's left. Give it to me first. Um, which maybe any of us, if we were put in such a situation, we would feel, um, we would feel like this would be a great offense. If we go to someone who barely has any food for themselves and you say, actually, just give it to me. Um, instead of eating it yourself, give it to me. And yet this woman, in her great faith, because this was the prophet of God, she, she granted his request, and she made for him, out of the small that she had, she made for him food. And so then Elijah responded to her and said, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So he said to her, because you were faithful and because you gave of, your, of, of the little that you had and you offered it to me as the prophet of God, God has granted you that this small amount of food that you have will never run dry, will never run out, and that it will last until the drought is over, until it rains again and you're able to obtain food for yourself. So again, this is something completely unexpected um, from this woman. And he saw the faith of this woman and God rewarded her because she believed in God. She had faith to believe. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation like this where we have very little, um, maybe not physical resources like food or money, but we have very little that we feel like we can offer. We have very little left. We have little energy. We have little time. We have little um, mental capacity. We, have, we, we feel stretched in every direction. And we have little to offer. But God comes and says, offer what you have and I will bless the rest of your life. You know, whatever small thing that you have, don't keep it to yourself. Sometimes the more we try to hoard our resources, the more we try to kind of save up for ourselves, the less and less and less that we have. But when we begin to offer to God, he says, I will multiply you. I will give you greater than even what you had because you are offering. Because the true person who is blessing us is God. We are not the clever ones who are managing our time and our resources so well. It is God is the one who blesses us when we trust in him. So we see this played out in the life of this widow, that how, how he, God is able to bless even the small that she had. Also, we see this principle in the life of St. Peter. Um, before the Lord Christ called St. Peter uh, as an apostle, uh, the Lord asked him to use his boat so he could go out into the water and he could stand on the boat and speak to the multitude of people that were there. St. Peter, of course, um, he didn't know who this man was, really. He didn't know who he was, but he agreed. He, he believed that he was some kind of a prophet. He agreed um, to, to let him to use his boat. Then afterward, the Lord told him and the others to go out and to, to, to into the deep to fish, to catch fish, even though they had not caught fish all night. And they went and caught this miraculous catch of fish, so, so much fish that, they, that the nets that they were using were breaking um, uh, to, to haul all of the fish back again. 
After this, when, when St. Peter saw this miracle happen, that even though he spent all night trying to fish and no fish were caught, and now the Lord, even at his simple word, just said, go and fish, and, and St. Peter went and did according to his word, uh, St. Peter was moved with a spirit of repentance. He felt like this was a holy man, and that, and that he was, St. Peter was, um, a sinner. And so he knelt down before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And of course, we know after this, the Lord went even more and he says, you know, you, you are a fisherman, let me make you a fisher of men. And St. Peter left all that he had and he left his nets and he left his family and he left all the fish that he just caught miraculously. He left all of that and he went and he followed him. This was a completely unexpected day for in the life of St. Peter. And it started because the Lord made him a request and St. Peter fulfilled that request. He says, I will give what you asked of me. You know, you asked me to give you my boat, I will give you my boat. You asked me to go do something that was irrational, that maybe for me was difficult to understand. I went and I did it, and I saw the reward. And then I offered you repentance. I, 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 I knelt down in humility, and I recognized my sin. And because of all of these things, when then the Lord looked to St. Peter and says, leave all of this life behind and come um, and follow me and be my disciple. This also is, is the great and unexpected work of God. Who would have known that the Lord would choose such a fisherman to come and to be a great apostle and martyr for his name in establishing the church? You know, who would have thought that he was going to do all of the things that he did, but it started out with some very simple acts of obedience, some very simple acts of humility, the smallest things, same as with the woman, the widow that we just mentioned. She'd offered something very simple. All that she had was just some oil and some flour. Please, Lord, take the small that I have, and then God made her to be great. And God here took the simple things that St. Peter had and made him to be great. And this is all the Lord is asking of us, you know, maybe we don't see ourselves as great and we don't see ourselves as having so much. God says, give me the little, you know, give me the little and I will multiply it just as he multiplied the five loaves um, and the two fish. Another example that we see this is in the life of the, in the story of the prodigal son. We know that the prodigal son, um, after he uh, sinned against his father, he took the inheritance of his father and he went and lived uh, a prodigal, wasteful life and he squandered all that he had and he lived in sin. Um, and then in that lowest point in his life when he had lost all of the money, he thought to himself, you know, I can um, go back to my father and I will be as a hired servant. I know that my father will not accept me as a son again. I know that I have um, wasted all of his, all of his money um, and I asked of it my inheritance even before he died, which was very disrespectful, almost like he's saying, you are dead to me saying like I you it is as though you are dead give me the money that you owe me all that he saw in his father was 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 the money he says all i care about of you is the money just give me my money and i will i will leave and so of course the the sin of this son was great um against the father and so he didn't expect that when he would return again that he would be able to be received and accepted as a son again to his father he thought to himself, at least I will be like a servant. Maybe I know that my father has many resources and he has servants. I will go and I will work to earn a wage and I will work to um, be accepted uh, in the house again. But I definitely am not expecting that he will be accepting me as a son. But we know, of course, when the son returned, he treated him as a son, 
and and even greater than he treated him initially because it's a, he says what bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry you know something completely unexpected from from the son's perspective to believe that the father could respond this way not only is he accepted me as a son but he's having a celebration and he's giving me even more after i took all of the things that was that that from, from him now he's giving me a robe and he's he's killing the fatted calf and he's giving me sandals and he's giving me like all of these things you know maybe also we um after we fall into sin and we are away from god we think that god has it in for us we think that God is angry with us and upset with us and that if we were to try to return to him again, that somehow we would be rejected or that God now sees us in a different way. It's like, how dare you do this to me? You know, how, how dare you do after all of the mercies that I've showed you out of after all the blessings that I've given you, that you would go and sin in this way. And, and here you are, you know, wanting to come back and like grovel at my feet. And we think that somehow maybe God is going to act this way toward us that he's going to like kind of put it in our face the fact that we failed but this uh, this parable makes it very clear that this is not the way that God acts this is not who God is that even when we return it says what that there are you know the angels in heaven are rejoicing over the one lost sheep that returns right the one person who returns the one sinner who repents that there is so much rejoicing in heaven over that one person so anytime that we repent God does not look at us with disdain or anger or disappointment. No, he looks at us with joy and he's, he's willing even to give an, uh, giving us greater than even what we had before. This is also the great and unexpected works of God, that he, he is so merciful and gracious that he gives us far more than what we deserve to have. The last example I will mention is the example of the right-hand thief. Um, of course, we know that this man was a thief and he lived his entire life as a thief. And um, to the point where he was captured, he was judged, he was sentenced to death for all is it that he did. Now, you can imagine how bad all of his life was so that's, that he would be sentenced to death. Like, this was not a petty thief. This was not just, a, you know, someone who just stole a couple of things in his life. No, this was like a professional thief. And he lived his whole life in thievery um, and, and, and many other things probably as well. For him to be sentenced, to be crucified, it is a, a severe, severe punishment. And so, having lived his whole life this way, very likely thinking about himself that he wasn't capable of anything better than this, and he was undeserving of mercy, and, and we know that he is on the cross, he was speaking to the other thief, the left-hand thief, and telling him, we deserve what we get. You know, we, we deserve what we get because we are thieves. We deserve it because we, have, we are sinners. We, are, we, have, we have lived our whole life um, uh, cheating people and taking the things of people so now here we are at the last moments of our life and this is our just reward for everything that we have done and he defended the Lord and he said this man has done nothing but we deserve um, what it is that we are getting and yet even while he was on the cross he had some glimmer of hope and when he looked at Christ he said to him what um, uh, when you uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom right so he, like, he believed that, that the Lord was going into his kingdom, that he is a king, and that he is going to his kingdom, and he's saying, remember me. Even there in his moment of greatest weakness, there where he had no time left to offer any type of reparations for anyone or to return anything that was stolen. You know, when you read the story of Zacchaeus, 
Zacchaeus said, I, I will return everything that I have stolen and I will restore it fourfold. He had an opportunity in his life to try to correct anything that he had done wrong. Whereas this man, now in the last moments of his life, had no ability, no time left to even correct or to apologize or to do anything. He was just simply on the cross, dying, being punished for the sins that he committed. And yet in that moment, he thought of Christ. He thought of him and he said, maybe the Lord can accept me even now in this lowest point when I have squandered my entire life and there is nothing left for me to offer and nothing for me to return and no one I can apologize to, maybe even in this moment, God can accept me. And so when he says, remember me, O Lord, when you're coming to your kingdom, it shows a great faith that God, I believe that even now you can forgive. I believe that even now you can have mercy, that even though I am hated by all people and I deserve the punishment that I'm receiving, and yet I believe, God, that you can have mercy on me. And so we know, of course, the famous response that the Lord gave this man um, after he said, remember me, O Lord, when you're coming to your kingdom. He responded and said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If you can imagine such a response to this man, you know, there's, there's a million things that we could imagine that God would respond in that moment. Like he could say, how dare you ask me of this? Or you have lived a very sinful life. Or begin to rebuke him for the life that he lived. Or any manner of things that could be said by the perfect omnipotent God to this man who was a sinner and so far beneath him who lived his entire life selfishly and harming other people. And yet in that moment, all that Christ said was, today you will be with me in paradise. Like there was no sermonizing. There were no lessons to give. There was no rebuking to be had. There wasn't any time for any of those things. All there was the time for is for the Lord to assure this man that he would be with him in paradise. This is also the great and unexpected works of God. How could anyone have expected or this man to expect this great response that the Lord would give him, giving him comfort and consolation in his last moments of life, that he would actually be accepted by God and that he would go to the kingdom of heaven? amazing for us to read this and to really understand the context of this story um, how merciful that God is to us that the moment that we turn to him with uh, a real repentance he forgets all that was before he forgets everything that came before all the things that we've done he, he just says today you will be with me in paradise right I have accepted you again this is again the the, the amazing works um, of God so in conclusion, God often works with us in unexpected ways. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says, Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion, according to the multitude of his mercies. Even though God allows us to go through different types of suffering, even though the world is filled with difficulties, and yet God works in amazing and unexpected ways for us. He gives us more than what we ask, and this is, um, all the examples that we spoke about today demonstrate this, and there are many, many, many more. If we really study the Word of God, we will see that God is not stingy, that He's not He's not slow to give us what is right. Um, but that doesn't mean, again, that what we ask for Him to do for us is 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 good for us, right? People who who come and meet with me or, or confess with me know that I always tell them this verse in Proverbs fourteen twelve: um, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death." This verse tells us so much about how God deals with us. There is a way that seems right to us. 
There are some ways that we look to, that, to it and say, I wish God grant me this, grant me the, the desires of my heart. But God says to us, even though this seems right to you, its end is the way of death. And you don't see that. Like You don't see that, my child, that what you are asking for is harmful. So I will not give it to you. And do not be upset with me because I do not give it to you. Just as any parent, when their child would ask them for something harmful, they would never give it. Even if the child cannot understand, even if we make every effort to explain to our children why this is harmful and because they are too young to comprehend, they don't understand, it doesn't change our mind. No, I'm not going to give it to you. Whether you understand or you don't understand, I am not going to give it to you. You can ask me a, a million times, I will not give it to you because I love you. And so when God does not give us what we want, it's not because God doesn't want us to be joyful, He doesn't want us to be happy, He doesn't want us to have blessings, no. It's because it is not good for us. No matter how much it appears to us that it is good, but what does God say? He says its end is the way of death, and so I, I, will, not, I will not give it to you. So we see the amazing works of God and the lives of the people, and we know, of course, that the Lord continues to work in our lives and to grant us everything that we need in due season, and glory be to God forever. Amen.